You're listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. The goal of this podcast is to help business owners be successful and gain the advantage. Nancy has helped some of today's top Fortune 500 companies across a wide spectrum of industries work through their toughest challenges. She can help you too. So if you can't find the solutions you need, there are no more books to read or workshops to attend. The Nancy Gaines Show can be the difference between your success and failure. And now your host, Nancy Gaines. Hi, this is Nancy Gaines, and welcome to The Nancy Gaines Show, where we provide actionable ideas for entrepreneurs to grow their business and be even more productive. The focus of today's podcast is all about why being a leader is psychological, not tactical. And I'm super excited to have a very special guest with me, Court Dial. Let me tell you about him. He has spent the last 30 years in a variety of environments, ranging from corporate skyscrapers to South American jungles. Today, he is the president of Court Dial Consulting, where he successfully guides business coaches and executives from organizations like Chevron, Intel, Borax, Disney, Apple, and so many more to be new breeds of leaders. He is also the author of The Globe and Mail's 2016 number one business book, Heretics to Heroes. Welcome, Court. What else would you like to add to that introduction? We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Nancy. I'm not sure there is anything I can add. That was quite an introduction. I appreciate it. We are so excited to have you on the show and hear all about leading other people. So first of all, congratulations on being in the number one book category. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was quite an achievement, and I was very pleased because the gentleman who selected it, uh, his main reason for selecting it was he said he'd never had a business book touch him the way mine did. Aw, wow, what an honor. That's really, really cool. So I am not familiar with the word heretics. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. What does that mean, and why? A heretic. Yeah, it was a heretic, and why do you consider yourself one? Well, in, in the context I use it, heretics are those people in your business that have these wonderful, great ideas who know how to solve your problems that nobody listens to. You know, they're the Galileos of the, of the business world. Uh, and um, I help leaders not only find them, but leverage them. And uh, from time to time, I run into a leader, an executive who's a heretic, and I, I coach that individual as well. So let me give you an example and see if I'm on the right page. I know in the early years of my careers, in my younger years, I was very quiet, and I would have an amazing idea, and I would bring it up in a meeting, and nobody would hear it. And then somebody else would say the same idea, and everybody would love that idea. And I'm like, wait, but that was my idea. Is that the same thing or a little bit different? Well, I've actually had a lot of women tell me over the years that that happens to them because they're female. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But it's a little different. I'll give you an example. I was working in a large corporation, and there was a knock on my door, my office door. And a young engineer entered my office, and this, this uh, business unit was in big trouble. And he said, Court, I have the solution to our problem, but I can't get anybody to hear me. And my boss has told me to shut up and never spring it up again, what I do. So I coached him on on how to play the role of a heretic and his first step, and that was to get a powerful sponsor. Long story short, he's leading one of the most important projects in that business unit right now that uh, is really their only hope for saving it. That's really cool. Yeah, it does happen a lot to women. I don't know if we – it's probably because we don't come up confidently. We don't say the ideas confidently so they don't get the power behind them, plus we're soft-spoken. 
But I could totally see that. What I learned, my trick is when somebody brings up the same idea that I do, I used to say in the corporate world, I'm so glad we're on the same page because then I get a little bit of credit. Have you ever seen people do that? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty clever, Nancy. (laughs) It works. Now I'm an entrepreneur, so I don't have to deal with that as much, but that's super cool. So let's talk about leadership being psychological, not tactical. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, I, psychological, I would also say emotional. So the, most leaders don't recognize that everything we do is emotionally based. So what they try to do is to build systems and programs that, in this, in this sense, try to direct and control people's behavior to get business results. And that's one way to do it. Uh, there's a much more effective way to do it, and that is to inspire people, to lead people. And that, that's an emotional job. That's a psychological role. So, uh, in, for example, um, I was coaching a gentleman whose business unit was no longer profitable. And uh, they happened to drill deep water wells, oil wells in the Gulf of Mexico. And I said to him, what are you going to have to do to be profitable? And he goes, well, we're going to have to start drilling everywhere well on budget on time, the, our first attempt. And that's just impossible to do. The industry's never done it. And I've said, you know, I helped him under realize that it was his relationship to that possibility that was limiting the performance of his organization. And if he would put that in front of his people as a possibility, as a future, and explain what the future might be like if we could perform at that level, they will do the heavy lifting for you if you can lead them. And uh, they, they did that for 18 months. They delivered every well on budget on time the first time, saved about $800 million, and his business unit was once again profitable. Wow, that is a really big transformation. So it's, it, you know, where this started for me, Nancy, I was in uh, uh, Old Navy with my son, Charlie, and we were checking out. He's about five or six years old. And he started asking me about all the security devices the, the clerk was removing from his clothes. And so I explained the whole system and how it was designed to control people and influence their behavior. And I described the towers out front and this, uh, the alarm system and the hidden cameras and everything. When I was all done, he looked up at me and he said, why don't they just teach people not to steal. And I, that, that comment from my son, Charlie, really hit me. And I started saying, you know, why don't we do that? Why don't we use the social, emotional, psychological side of human beings and how we interact and come to agreements and, come and reach covenants? Why don't we use that instead of spending all this time buying equipment and, and putting in technology to try to control us? And so I went off and started learning how to do exactly that. And my book is essentially a, a series of stories about how I came to learn that and then how I've helped clients apply that to their businesses. That's really cool. I like that. And Isn't it funny how kids have such insightful perspectives that as we get older, we kind of lose track of those? Yes. <laughs> the woman in line behind us looked up at me and she said, out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> and I said, yes, you know, the kid has a really good point, doesn't he? Yeah, I like the simplicity of kids. That's one of my core values is just keeping things simple. So, Court, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in business leadership? Anything cool that we should know about or that you'd like to see changed? 
Well, I like the trend that uh, leadership is, is starting to be all about being authentic and being yourself and not trying to be a certain way, that there's power in, in you and being yourself. That's a positive trend. Some of the negative trends I see, one of them is um, there's this belief that leadership is learned at a leadership course. You know, you send people, I work in companies where they spend a fortune sending everyone. Once you reach a certain level, you go off to the leadership course. And I found that isn't how you learn to lead. You learn to lead by taking on a phenomenal uh, challenge and stepping up. I call it playing a big game. And by by putting yourself in a position where you have to grow and de- develop and become a leader. I like to say the Civil War made Lincoln or the Civil Rights made King. It wasn't that they were a leader. They stepped up to the moment and developed into the person that we all admire today. That's really good. I like that. That totally makes sense. And I always, when I speak, so I'm a speaker as well, I love to share the story of how I don't really believe that HR needs to say, here are your weaknesses. Why don't you just make these better? I love to have people focus on their superpower and only do what you're good at. Why, why should we have to be really, quote, well-rounded if that's not our strength to to do something. So I kind of like how instead of just going to a class, you're saying step up and do real world stuff. That's how it works. Do you agree? Absolutely. When I start with a leader, one of the, before we sign up together to work together, uh, I won't work with a leader who doesn't want to play a big game. And I'll explain to them why. Uh, I'll tell them what I just told you to help them understand. That's why I'm not willing to coach you unless you're willing to step up and play a big game to do something that's never been done, that you may even think is impossible to do, because that is what will, will call you to be an extraordinary leader. And by the way, the only thing that limits human beings, what we can do is what we hold as a possibility and believe we can do. And as a leader, if you put this in front of your people, uh, another quick example, I worked on a project over in the Middle East, I write about it in my book. And their plan was they were only going to kill a few people and hurt several hundred. And I stepped up and said, you know, why don't we not harm anyone? And we had about a six-hour conversation. This was at at the investors' meeting. And ultimately, the project manager committed to that possibility, put it in front of his people. And about two and a half years later, they'd worked eight and a half million man hours, and not a single person had had to leave uh, the site. Uh, for any medical attention. And that's literally a miracle. Cannot be done. But it was done through leadership. It wasn't done by putting in new safety programs and things like that. Wow. (laughs) You've had an interesting life between some of these major things that you've had an impact on. You mentioned something about a chemical plant incident. Are you comfortable sharing what happened and how that really impacted you and your mindset? Sure. I, I think everyone in their life has moments where they, in a sense, the universe lets them know who you really are. And I found out who I really was, and I didn't really like what I found. I essentially made a number of decisions and choices that got a, a gentleman killed. Uh, and fortunately, our plant manager uh, forced me to face up to that. And when I did, I I literally fell to the floor sobbing. And uh I couldn't believe I had become a person who would do that. I would have never put anyone I cared for, a loved one, in the position I put this gentleman. But I did it because he was a contractor, and they didn't matter to us. 
And I started to realize then that all the programs and systems in the world are useless in the hands of people who have a poor relationship to whatever they're working on. In this case, relationship to safety. My relationship to safety was, you know, we need to take care of our own people and and everyone else isn't even worthy of my concern. And so that was a pivotal moment in, in my development. And I ended that whole conversation with that plant manager's name was Bob. God bless him. I'll never be able to thank him enough. But I ended that that with a commitment that's informed the rest of my life, and that is I'm committed to the health, safety, well-being of the men and women who design, build, operate, and maintain our world. And so that's what I do. I work for the, the people that get it done every day, the people who make the world work. That is awesome. And that happened early in your career, right? Yes, I was a very young engineer, early 20s. I held what was left of this man's hand. I held him as he passed away, his hand as he passed away. On the positive side, it's good that you realize things early that sometimes people don't even figure out in life until they're in their 70s or 80s. So you had a, a really good chance to implement early, which is what leaders do, right? Yes, and I often, I rarely tell that story because it's difficult for me to tell. But I often say to people, I had an experience where my whole relationship to to safety caused a man to get killed. And, and what I'm trying to help you do is not to have to learn what I learned the yeah, way we, I learned it. Uh, we appreciate I'm sure that was a, a tough thing to say. So let's move on to your book and talk a little bit about what's in the book and maybe two or three things people can take away and implement right now. Well, in the book, is at the beginning of the book, you learn about me and how I became this individual, the experiences I went to, and how I became a coach. And that's the first third of the book. And then the second third of the book is how I learned from great mentors and, and people like yourself who, who would step up to me and guide me and support me. And then the majority of the book, the third section, is what I said earlier. It's me working with leaders who choose to play a big game and describing that whole experience. What is, I wanted to put people in the room with where uh, extraordinary leadership was occurring, extraordinary development, and extraordinary coaching was going on. Because most people haven't ever seen it. They think of coaching as someone who comes in and, and you know knows about your business and gives you tips on how to do your business or team building or something like that. And my form of coaching isn't that. It's about helping you take what I call a hero journey uh, and entering the dark forest, spending a lot of time there, come back, uh, basically is in the same place, but as a totally different por- person because you've chosen to be different. I mean, that's what happened to me in the experience we just discussed. I, I came out of that whole experience a totally different human being. Oh, I'm sure. I can't even imagine that. I'm still kind of processing it, even though we moved on to a different topic. And where can people find your book? Uh, It's everywhere. It's on Amazon, uh, and it's in bookstores. There's an audio version, a Kindle version, a paperback. I highly recommend the audio version. The gentleman who uh, did the narration did a great job of keeping the characters alive or bringing them alive. That's cool. And I know you do some really cool events down in Texas. Do you want to share about that as well? Yes, I have a process essentially for how do you go into an organization and do what I do. And uh, I, 
I periodically hold what I call a summit in Austin and a select few. Typically, I allow no more than four to come spend a week with me. And they bring a specific challenge or project with them. And by working on that project throughout the week, they learn to do what I do, how to do what I do, how to cause, cause what I call a performance transformation. And do you want to give the dates of the next one or how people can apply? Uh, they're, they're next January. If you go to my website, Court at Court Dial, and there's a link called Summits, it'll tell you all about them. Very cool. And those are a whole week? Entire week. Get wow. there Monday around noon and you leave it Friday around noon. It takes That's that long to, to learn everything that needs to be learned. Oh, I'm sure. And is it only for corporate executives or can individual entrepreneurs come too? It's both, and uh, usually it's individuals who come. Okay. It's these it's these odd individuals who are willing to invest what it costs to learn to develop what I'm I'm going to develop them in, and there's very few that are willing to do that. I'm I'm really not interested in someone who's coming because their cor- their company says they have to go to some leadership course, <laughs> and the company's willing to pay for it. No, that totally makes sense. Well, let me ask you one more business question before we jump into my standard fun question. What are some of the most common mistakes you see that business leaders make, and how, what should they be doing instead? The most common I, I see is they use fear in an attempt to produce results. I mean, it, uh, it's my observation that fear, if love makes the world go round, fear makes business go around. Everyone seems to be afraid to say what they think, um, to put forth the idea they believe to disagree. Um, I have given feedback to senior executives, and and they have been absolutely devastated by the feedback. And I realize this is the first time in their whole career they've ever heard the truth. And they'll tell me, you know, I couldn't sleep. This is devastating. And I'll say, you know what's devastating is your child has an incurable disease. This just stings a little. Wow. So there's this whole... Inauthenticity in the workplace that needs to be gone. Drive, you know, dimming. I don't know if you're familiar with Edward Dimming. Oh yeah, for sure. He does all sorts of organizational stuff. He was one of my favorite topics when I went to MBA school. He was. I was fortunate enough to actually be able to be in his presence and and be coached by him. And one of his big uh, concepts was drive fear out of the workplace. And unfortunately, it's still there. So how did that, now that's a cool topic. How did you get coached by him? I happened to be uh, in charge of a, a company that supplied Ford Motor Company, and Ford Motor Company had uh, hired him. And I went to a week-long uh, similar type event, a summit event, where Dr. Deming taught us everything he knew and, and got to sit in the evening and chat with him. And he was, again, it was another life-changing experience. It's when I started to realize the impact a leader has on not only people's performance, but their happiness, their lives, everything. That's super cool. Well, good for you. Wow. That's a, I bet that makes great stories when you're teaching in Austin. Yeah, Nancy, one of the most important things he said to me, I kept asking him, how do you measure what you do? And finally, he looked at me and said, young man, when you grow up, and and mature, you're going to come to the realization that most things that are most important for business uh, or any human endeavor cannot be quantified. Wow! And then he just left. He just left me with that statement and moved on. 
And just like Charlie looking up and saying, why don't we just teach people not to steal? That comment really hit me hard. And I thought long and hard about that comment. That is cool. Well, let's lighten it up and talk a little bit about a fun question since we're all about productivity. This is my standard signature question. Court, if you had one more hour in your day, so 25 hours instead of 24, how would you spend that extra hour? I think I would do a better job of planning my day. I'd spend that hour thinking, reminding myself of my commitment, what I stand for in the world, what I'm up to, what my priorities are, and I would plan my day better. That's good. I like that. So one thing that I teach people is don't ever have more than nine things on your on a today's to-do list. So for every day, nine things at the most. Of those three, three of them you can delete. They're just not important to get done. Three of them you can delegate because there's somebody who could probably do it a lot less expensive than your time, and three of them you do. What do you think of that? I love that. Simple, right? Indeed. Yeah, and even someone like myself can practice that. Anybody could do that. Very yeah. cool. Court, what else would you like to add that I didn't even think to ask you? Well, you asked about emotion, how emotion plays uh, or psychological plays in uh-huh. performance or productivity. So I'd like to tell one last story. Sure. I told you about the, the project over in Saudi Arabia where essentially no one got hurt. Well, they sent an audit team to come figure out how we were pulling off this miracle about halfway through the through the project, and as most audit teams do, they looked at systems and programs and equipment and did some interviewing of the people, but the audit team leader finally called to lunch and said, we can't figure out how you're doing this. You know, you have, we have a mirror image project on the other side of Saudi, and they're killing people and hurting people right and left. We can't figure it out. And one of the supervisors stood when he said that, and he said, you were looking in the wrong place, my friend. Nothing's different about that stuff you're looking at. And the audit team leader looked back at him and said, well, then where should we be looking? What is different? And he said, I'm different. We're different. And the audit team leader said, well, what's different about you? And he said, I'm a great supervisor. I've been supervising for 40 years. I'm a great constructor. I can build anything. But on this project, I am much more than a supervisor. I'm much more than a construction constructor on this project i'm a father and the whole room just stood still in that moment and this audit team leader sat there just puzzled by what this gentleman had said and then finally you could see the light go on in his head and he said you know i'm starting to understand how you're pulling this off and it was the relationship that the supervision and leadership had to them to the men i say men because only men worked in saudi in those days that were being brought over there. Once they started relating to them as their children and treating them as you would a loved one, all of a sudden, no one's going to get hurt because you do not allow your son to get hurt. That is cool. Wow, deep messages to wrap up this podcast. I appreciate all the stories that you shared. Court, thanks so much for taking time to be on our episode today. Lots of great things to get people thinking. Listeners, I just added some speed consulting days on my calendar for fall. This is where you accelerate your business in just one day instead of coaching, which can take weeks or months. So go to nancygaines.com slash scale to learn more. And if you loved our show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so other people can find us. And until next time, go out and gain the advantage.
You've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show, where you can gain the advantage. To schedule a VIP strategy day or speed consulting session with Nancy, connect with her on her website, nancygaines.com. That's Nancy, G-A-I-N-E-S, dot com. On Twitter, Nancy L. Gaines. And on LinkedIn, Nancy Gaines. Be sure to check back on Nancy's website for new episodes. Until next time, you've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. Go out and gain the advantage.